Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. You know, my management training started in the first grade. I see some looks of disbelief. I can hear it. No, really, it actually probably started even earlier than that. In fact, you probably actually started your management training just as early as I did. Because you see, as I'm sure many of you can relate, I learned in early in life that if I wanted to achieve something, I needed to manage my actions to reach my goals. So, you know, first grade, I needed to, to manage my behavior, be good, so I could get that snack at recess, right? I needed to manage, you know, my, my deep desire to shoot spitballs at those poopy head girls across the room so that my teacher wouldn't get angry with me, right? I needed to manage that. You know, fair confession, I, I still kind of want to shoot spitballs at poopy heads, boys and girls, but I'll, I, I learned. I'm trying to manage that. We're good. See, I learned quickly that managing this bad behavior, it minimized bad consequences, and I managed my good behavior, I could increase reward. So this, this learning to manage uh, my, my life, it grew uh, as I got older. I needed to manage the good and the bad. And so if I wanted good grades in school, I needed to manage uh, you know, my desire to waste time with entertainment. I needed to make room for good study habits and homework. Uh, you know, I wanted to be good at sports, so I needed to manage my bad habits and create good habits that would make me uh, a better player and athlete. See, eventually, I wanted to find a spouse. So you know, I needed to learn to, to manage my dating skills, my style, my B.O., because sports don't go well with that thing. They create that bad, you know, it's not good. In fact, that's my tip of the day for any young men that are out there. Right? You're struggling with your dating game. We're here to support. Just, just raise your hand. We're here to support. While the hand's up, just turn your head a little bit. If you pull away, so will the ladies, okay? All right, just, just to be clear. Now, come on. Now, the reality is that goes both ways. I'm just being a gentleman. I'm being kind. You, you ladies, you can do that in private in one of those group projects you guys do in the bathroom. We can add it to the task list. <laughs> I had two sisters. I've been married almost 17 years. I still have no idea what's happening. <sighs> All right. I better stop, though, before I get in trouble, because I did learn you get in trouble anytime you start to you know, you do that. So, so this, this need to manage everything in these parts of my life, it, it continued to grow, and uh, it continued in my early career. So I, I was starting a job that had a high level of responsibility, and I was only kind of just learning how to, to handle that level of responsibility. I was only 26, and you know, I actually remember hiding how old I was when I started that, because I didn't want anybody to think I was unqualified because I was too young. And uh, I was overseeing the, the manufacturing uh, group in this, in this company. It was a young company, so they're working out a lot of kinks in process and design, and that created a lot of like, stress and pressure on my department because finances are tight for a young company, and we gotta ship product to get things out. And, you know, I, I really tried hard to manage those places of, of frustration and fear. You know, I told myself, I just suck it up. Don't let anybody know how stressed out you are. You don't want to do that. I can manage this. I couldn't manage this. And so then what happened was that those places of frustration began to come out in lashing out at, at coworkers or even at home. And it, it just, it, it, it was hurting my relationships at home, at work, didn't matter. 
See, the problem was I was doing the very things to others that I was, I was complaining about that were being done unjustly to me or, or to my team and my department. And then my faith was hurting too. You know, I was, I was overwhelmed and, and I realized that what was happening was I was just putting up the, uh, uh, the good appearance, you know, of being a good Christian. I was, I was felt disconnected from God and I was disappointed in myself. Because this, this managing thing, it, it flowed into my faith journey as well. You know, if I, I wanted to be a good Christian and, and, a, and a follower of Jesus, so I needed to, to manage my sin or my bad behavior and to achieve my goal of being, of being good, of being a follower of him. So I worked hard to control places of, of anger and gossip and cheating and, and lust and all these other things that, honestly, they just kept coming back and getting in the way of my goal of a pure relationship with Jesus. Do you ever feel like it's a full-time job to try to manage, like, your behaviors, those mistakes, that, that, those sin issues that pop up in your life? I did. That was my experience. And I was frustrated. I was frustrated with myself. I was frustrated with God. And then I, I did what you should never do, and I fell into the comparison game. So I'd look at other Christians and be like, well, they seem to have those bad habits under control. They seem to, to figure out what to do with the sin. Or, and not only that, they seem to be, have time to help other people too. I mean, are they... Are they that much better at it? Are they just actually better at faking it than I was? I, I was trying to figure out how I could do that, and I, and I just couldn't. I couldn't figure out how they found the time to even do that. Then I come, I come to the vineyard. This is about 2000. I come to the vineyard, and I see people partnering with the Holy Spirit and praying, and like powerful moves of God are happening. I want to be, live that power-filled life. I want to live a, a spirit-led life, but I honestly just felt like I was struggling with that place of I wanted true transformation but didn't feel qualified to partner with God, right? I had too much of my own sin and issues to manage. Maybe you've wrestled with that same place, questioning whether or not you're, you're good enough to partner with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps with, you wrestle with the questions of, you know, do I know enough about God? Do I know about the Bible? And you think to yourself, you know, once I get my stuff figured out. When I get my own sin management, behaviors, all that figured out, then I can live like Jesus wants me to live and I'll, and I'll be able to do that. And so for many of us, it feels like this, this sin or this sin management thing keeps us from, from true transformation that we actually want. See, now the good news is that Jesus has made a way for us to overcome this obstacle of sin. He, he's given us an, the, the ability to embrace a whole new identity, a whole new reality. And when we understand that truth, we will be set free in so many ways. So today I'm continuing this series, uh, Wrecked for God, where we've been exploring these surprising secrets of true transformation. And I'm uh, covering chapters four and five in the book, in case you're following along or want to make note of that. You know, today we want to discover how we've been empowered to live as joyful saints in union with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are here now with us, that you want to show us who we are. You want to show us who you are. You want to bring us your revelation of new life in you. We thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, when we say yes to relationship with Jesus, it's actually really easy for us to, to say, okay, I totally believe God's taken care of everything from that decision point. But then from then on, we kind of like, well, now it's up to me to make sure that I keep it there, right? 
I gotta got work really hard uh, to figure this out. And, and we have to deal with any mistakes that crop up after that. So this, what happens is sin becomes this constant battle of I was good there, but now I just have to keep battling it all the way up through here. That's how what I have to do if I wanna be a good Christian. See, or is it? What, what, did, what did Jesus actually do for me? Am I still a sinner saved by grace? Or was I a sinner who was then saved by grace? What's the Bible say? I want to read from Colossians 3.10 really quick and just catch up here. What does it say? It says, put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. A new nature? So, so does that mean I, I don't have to manage that old sin nature, bad behavior thing that's going on? The question is, are we called to be managers of sin or stewards of righteousness? Are we sinner or saint? How has God transformed and empowered us to overcome the sin that does come up? Now, I know that's a lot of questions, and I, and I hope we'll find cl- some clarity as we unpack how our identity as saints directly affects this transformation journey that we're walking through. See, not only do we try to manage our sin, we, we use labels to create our identity that drives actions and our behaviors instead of allowing Jesus to define who we are. So we build an identity for ourselves as sinners and not saints, and we're missing the power of Jesus in that because that identity will drive behavior. So how should we see ourselves in the light of this amazing good news? How does the gospel transform our lives to live out who we truly are? See, this labeling thing, it is, it is so important because how we label ourselves, our identity, it changes the way that we actually live our life. So right now, I, I want you to stop and think about the labels that you've put on yourself, wherever you're at. What do those look like? Think about it. Are you broken instead of whole? Labels of failure, unintelligent, depressed, anxious, ashamed, unworthy, rejected. There's so many more. How have you tried to manage your sin? See, when we take on that identity of sin, it forces us into this role of managing our sin instead of stewarding our righteousness. So we look at the brokenness that's sitting in our lives and, and the places where we mess up and just feel like we're stuck in this cycle. We feel ashamed. And that's a problem because if we don't know who we are, we don't know how to behave, how to think, how to act. We, we don't know, understand who we are, so we don't understand how to live. So we live making poor choices according to those ways that we see ourselves, those labels that we put on ourselves and our identity. So that place of poor decisions, are, are, we're, we're trapped in patterns of bad behavior. And it becomes cyclical in our life. But that's not the way that we're called to live. In fact, in, in Romans, it, 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 it tells us that the real truth is that in Christ, we are alive to God and dead to sin. But doesn't it sometimes feel like it's the opposite of that? I feel very alive to sin. I only feel kind of alive to God. But that's not the way that God's actually called us. And, and it is really important that we understand this, this foundation of our identity, this foundation of that place. And so I want you to stick with me because I want to walk through some of this theology. This becomes part of the foundation for how we live out this life. 
when we encounter who he says we are, it will transform us. This journey from sinner to saint. So I ask again, are we still a sinner? Am I still a sinner? Well, if not, and, and I'm, I'm a saint, as it says, what about sin, though? What about the, the sin that, that still happens in my life? Shouldn't that all be gone? Because if I have a new nature, it just goes away? Well, here's the secret. You don't actually need a sin nature to sin. Now, how do I know that? Well, because it's, it's in the Bible. So look at the, look at the very beginning in Genesis when it talks about Adam and Eve. See, they didn't start out with a sin nature. They started out with a free will. See, God gave them the freedom to choose, and when they chose sin, humanity was condemned to struggle with sin that was now grafted into our very nature. Romans 5.12 says it this way, if I can get there. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. See, see what the Bible is telling us is that what's wrong with the world isn't just poor choices. That's a part of it. But that brokenness, it affects the very core of who we are, our very selves. We're broken at this core. This is what the Bible calls a sin nature. So it's not just the bad things that we do. It's our very humanity that was broken in this process. I'll give you an example. So I've got this water bottle here. And this, this water bottle, is, it's, it's water, right? Water brings life. It's great. If somebody puts poison in here, this has now become a problem, right? I can't. I can't separate the poison. I can't personally separate the water from the poison. It's just part of what it is. So I have to be careful now of what gets out of this bottle. It could hurt somebody. It could hurt me. Now, I can do my best to contain it, to control it, to put it in. It does not change the essence that in this has been poisoned. It's been contaminated. This is the problem that Jesus came to fix. Not just to forgive the poor choices, but to restore that broken humanity, to deliver us from a sinful nature from the contamination that sin brought. See, we don't actually have to see ourselves as broken any longer because Jesus dealt with that. I'm a little hesitant now because I've created a reality in my brain, but <laughs> faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Here we go. I think we got it. If I go down, worship team can just come up. It'll be fine. I want to read actually, what, is, what, is Jesus, what does it talk about? The Bible tells us what Jesus actually did. I'm going to come back to, to Colossians here. This is Colossians 2, verses 11 through 14. And it's going to talk a little bit about what Jesus actually did to get rid of that sin nature. Now, it says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, before I dive into this, I'm going to freely admit I don't love Paul's circumcision analogy. It's a little uncomfortable. Paul, Paul was a legend, right? The apostle Paul who wrote these, these verses, like, you know, they, they call him, the kids would call him the goat, the greatest of all time, maybe. But I think my water bottle analogy, I like it better. I prefer that. But it's in the word. We'll stick with the word. So I'll manage my preference in this, 
in this way. So what does that mean? It means that cutting away of our sinful nature means it's gone, right? I'm a guy. I have two sons. I know. Circumcision means it was cut away. (laughs) When we come to Christ, when we come to Christ, this union with him. I told you the water bottle analogy was better. See, you're all there with me. Paul, I got one better than you. See, when we come to Christ, that union with him, he cuts away that very identity of sin in our life. That sinful nature's gone. And he talks about the baptism with Christ. Well, that baptism means that we were fully immersed with Christ. There was no part of us that was left untouched and made new in this process. We're no longer contaminated. See, we don't have to operate from that sin-focused nature any longer. Instead, we are now fully alive in Christ. We aren't managing sin. We're stewarding righteousness. We're not sinners. We're saints. It changes the way you live your life. Now, let's continue reading in Colossians 3 as it begins to point us towards this reality of living as a saint. I'm going to go to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. See, we've been given this this brand new and righteous life. That's actually how we get to live in union with Christ, because our life is hidden with him, just as it says here. Now, see, Jesus wasn't He didn't have any sin, right? It says Jesus was without sin. Now, the Bible does say that he was tempted in every way. And that means Jesus could have sinned, because otherwise it wouldn't have actually been a temptation, right? But Jesus was our model. Jesus was not shackled with a sin nature. Therefore, he was able to live his life without sin. And so for us to be in union with Jesus, who is without sin, we too needed to have that part of us removed. A sin nature cannot be in union with Jesus. It's not part of who he is. So Jesus had to cut that away so we could be restored to union and connection with him. It's the only way we could be restored. That's what Jesus did. That's the journey of transformation that we see in the gospel. It's the journey that Di writes about in her book. We find it all through the New Testament this journey of transformation in union with Christ, empowered by his spirit. But it's not about our work. It's about the work that Christ did. Because we can't do inner healing on our own. It's not inner healing unless Jesus is doing the healing. Now, does that mean we don't sin? We don't mess up? Of course. I think everybody in here could raise their hand and say, yeah, I've, I've messed up. But that, that changes the way we look at it. It doesn't make me sinner. It means I am learning to be who Jesus has called me to be. And I want to seek reconciliation when those things happen. We do because we're in relationship with him. That's how we want to live. But it does mean we have to understand we've already been forgiven. It means our thoughts and actions line up with heaven's thoughts and actions. That's how we begin to get there, right? I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a saint. I've been made new. I've been given a brand new identity. It's so important, right? How we see ourselves directly affects our behavior. So how do I live this out? If we're not supposed to manage this ourselves, then how do we get our thoughts and actions to begin to look more like Jesus? Well, the reality is that this incredible union, it it can only be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need his help. 
That's why, why Jesus left and said, I'm sending you the helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And in chapter five of her book, you know, Diane actually gives some, some great advice. You know what she says to do? Get drunk. <laughs> She's my mother-in-law. I don't know what to do, guys. She, she put it in her book right here. She said, better drunk than sober is the title of this chapter. If you haven't read it now, you want to, right? Get your minds renewed, guys. She's talking about the Holy Spirit. And if you're not renewed, we're gonna come back to that later and talk a little bit about that, so you better be paying attention, all right? I'll remind you when we get there. See, this isn't actually Dai's idea. This is actually something that, that's in the Bible. And, and, and the idea of what she's doing is talking about letting ourselves be fully immersed in the power of the Spirit. You see, in Paul in Ephesians, he actually makes this comparison. He says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So what, what is that infilling, that baptism of the Spirit that we often talk about? What does that look like? Well, if you, if you go to the very first uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, uh, we can actually get an idea of what that looked like. So the Holy Spirit's poured out. We call this the day of Pentecost. It was a powerful move of God. And there's people in the crowd who actually accused the disciples of getting drunk at like 10 in the morning because of what it looked like for the Holy Spirit power that came on them. But you know what else was also empowered in their life? They preached the gospel that day, and that power encounter led to 3,000 people coming to know Jesus because they said yes, even if they looked foolish. Amen. But that foolish part, it gets us hung up a little bit, right? What if I look foolish if I, if I partner with the Holy Spirit? See, here's the problem. There's, there's way too many of us, oftentimes, who are are free to get foolish with the spirits at the bar, but we're afraid to get foolish with the Holy Spirit. See, did you know during this pandemic that alcohol sales doubled, more than doubled year over year? Over $3 billion more in one year. So we were hurting. The world was hurting, and they sought comfort in the bottle, but they missed that God had already unbottled his comforter in the spirit. He missed it. See, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, it, it doesn't leave you hurting. It heals the hurting. That's what it means to be filled with the spirit. It brings clarity and not confusion. It brings peace and not anxiety. We are left empowered instead of powerless. John Wimber, who is the founder uh, of the Vineyard Movement, he was famous uh, for this phrase, he said, I'm a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? See, if I'm gonna be foolish, I'd rather be doing it with the God who loves me beyond anything I can imagine, who wants the very best for my life. I wanna be a fool for Christ. Whose fool will you be? See, coming back to my earlier story, the struggles I was having in work and faith, See, God began to show me this fallacy of managing my problems in order to appear like I had it all together. And the result was only you know, more stress, more anxiety, and more places for sin to, to bear fruit in my work, my marriage, and my faith. See, he reminded me of some lessons that, in fact, I'd already learned. I already learned from growing up in, in an environment that valued rules over relationship. 
See, in the first 20 years of my life, I saw the effects of quiet religious legalism that comes from shutting out the Holy Spirit, of religious activity instead of relationship with Jesus, a sober life of following the rules and creating the appearance of having it all together. I knew way too many people who looked good and perfect on the outside, but inside they were a complete mess. I lived this. I'd already done it. See, I tried to do all the right things for my own self-effort instead of relying on the Savior's effort. It was an exhausting cycle of striving, of failing, of guilt and shame, repent and repeat. The cycle hurts. And here I am, I'm in this new job. I actually have learned that lesson once before, but I'm letting that same mindset rule my thinking all over again. And my effort, I tell you what, it did not bear good fruit. It was definitely not the fruits of the Spirit. But, but God's reminding, right? I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint. I've been made new. See, but unfortunately, I had some stinking thinking. And for those of you who might have some stinking thinking, this is the renewed mind part we're gonna get to now, so you're ready. I needed to change it. I needed to renew my mind to live as a saint instead of a, a sinner. See, Jesus did all this work to put my old sinful self to the grave, and I kept trying to raise it back up and say, oh, that's my identity. But that's not who he says we are. The Bible reveals something different. It says in Colossians, I'm gonna come back to Colossians 3, this time in verses 10 through 11. We read verse 10 uh, early on here. It says this, put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, let it go, Paul. Barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. He lives in all of us. That old nature was cut away to make room for Jesus and his spirit. So being renewed is a process that we actually have to walk out in our journey with him. So we're, we're training our minds to think like saints who've already been made whole, not sinners who are striving to manage our way into acceptance. See, our old self, it wasn't just forgiven, it was actually made completely new. We were given a brand new nature. God made that new nature immediate. But the process of aligning our thoughts and actions to that new nature, that, that takes time. That's a process and journey we have to walk out. See, God, God didn't make that process immediate because God's priority is relationship. Relationships require learning and growing, right? If I wanna learn and know more about somebody and grow in relationship with them, I need to spend time with them. I need to actually learn to know them better and it's the same in our relationship with Christ. If we want to learn to live more like him, we have to learn to encounter his thoughts about us, his truth about who he has made us to be, our identity in him, so then we can begin to live as empowered saints and not self-employed sin managers. See, fortunately for us, the Holy Spirit, he's so faithful. He's so patient with me, and he'll be faithful and patient with you. See, I began to understand that Jesus, what Jesus had truly done on the cross, God began to, to remind me again of what that looked like, what the work of, of, his, of his time on the cross did. 
He said, I'm already approved. I'm already loved. I had an A on my report card. I was accepted all because of his grace. See, he wanted to live this life with me. He wanted to, to join in the things that brought me life because they brought life to him too when I did it with him. He wasn't looking over my shoulder to bring condemnation. He was living in union with me so he could show me who he had made me to be. If I messed up, his conviction wasn't about how terrible I was. It wasn't. See, it was a reminder of who he'd actually made me to be. That's what that brought in my life. So instead of trying to look good on the outside, God was, began to change my mind. I needed to get this right. I wanted what was outside to reflect what he had done on the inside, not what I was trying to manage. So I had to look at all the places that I'd messed up in this, this journey, both at work and at home and in my faith. And, and this took time. This wasn't like, oh, this took a couple of weeks and I figured out for me, this was like, this was over a year that I walked through this. It was one of the most stressful years of my life. And for you, that might be different. And sometimes we have to revisit those lessons that he's taught us before when we, when we fall into those places of unrenewed thinking. See, I had to choose to have some really hard conversations with people. I had to say, I'm sorry, a lot. And I, I, was, I was fearful because I was afraid I'd be embarrassed that I had to go admit my faults to people. I thought I'd be embarrassed and instead I was embraced. See, what I, what I actually found was that my self-effort had been creating barriers to relationships in my life. I had to set aside pride so I could move forward with purpose. What do you need to set aside so God can continue his work of transforming your life? What's standing in the way of moving you from managing your sin to stewarding his gift of righteousness in your life? See, when you say yes to Jesus, you've been empowered to live as joyful saints in union with Jesus. Di shares an amazing admonition for each of us in her book, and I want to actually read from it. This is uh, from the end of chapter four, page 101, in case you want to check it out later or if you have the book with you. And I'm just actually going to read this. I think it so well summarizes what, what we've just been talking about. It says this. Who we think we are determines how we live our life. If we think we're just a sinner saved by grace, we will struggle to overcome sin. And I will and will live under a cloud of condemnation, in the grip of guilt and the shadow of shame. But worse, as saved sinners, we live in sorrowful contempt of the cross and Jesus' tremendous sacrifice. It is that serious. Abandon any twisted theology of two natures. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into the truth of the cross and your new identity as a saint. Stop trying to fix the old you. No more makeup on your corpse. Trust your union with Jesus as you learn to live as a new creation with a new heart. See, it's Jesus' union with us that makes it possible for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to actually come and empower us to live the life he's called us to. And the Holy Spirit, he's not just some mystical force. He's a person of the Trinity. He's part of who God is, 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's only through our connection with Holy Spirit that we can actually live out our, our destiny that we've called to both individually and as a church. See, we, well, we allow God to wreck our old identity as sinners. Will we let the Holy Spirit empower us to live a life as a joyful saint? Let's allow ourselves to be wrecked for God so we can be wrecked for good. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for you. So thankful for the transforming power of your work on the cross, Jesus. You made us right. That you gave us a brand new identity so we could be restored to connection and union with you. I thank you for the truth and the power that that brings to our life. That we're no longer stuck trying to manage this ourselves. Thank you, Father, for your presence here. As we step into worship, Father, I just pray that you would just restore us in joy, in worship, in connection with you as we go to your throne in worship. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Life Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.